Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you, supertalk.fm. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the show brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Look them up online, mslandbank.com. You can find a phone number, give them a call, or grab a branch location near you for all your land financing needs if you are in North Mississippi. Weekend just around the corner, Mississippi State in Knoxville to take on Tennessee on Saturday, an 11 a.m. kickoff. Ole Miss at Missouri, 6 p.m. kickoff on uh, on Saturday night. And it will be, at best, the second most important thing happening in the state of Missouri to sports fans as the, uh, the Cardinals will be getting ready for Game 2 against the Washington Nationals. Actually, they will have already played Game 2 uh, against the Nationals when kickoff starts. So Game 1 tomorrow night... In St. Louis, game two Saturday afternoon in St. Louis, and then you got football on uh, on Saturday night. This is the time of year you had it at Ole Miss last week, homecoming. Uh, some high schools are celebrating homecoming as well. And Borky, sometimes it would be nice if we had uh, kind of the pre-show conversation on the air. Also, Rippy without had, the FCC. Yeah, maybe. Rippy has some fond memories of high school homecoming, don't you? I got put on the court one year, and I'm a Mr. Popular. I was pretty upset. You were upset about being put on homecoming court? Isn't that an honor? It was a great honor to take pictures at a house, go take pictures somewhere else, go take pictures before the game, go take pictures as you're walking out of the field, go take pictures after they go do the actual dance thing where you take more pictures. It was great. I enjoyed are you exaggerating the number of pictures? <laughs> no, I don't think so. It was no less than a couple thousand. Did you smile on any of them? I was homecoming queen. So, you know, what do you want? Say what, hey, Dad? I was the powder puff homecoming queen my senior year. So, Did you have to dress in drag for that? I did. What did that entail? <laughs> uh, well, I had, Tell me more. I'm going to get I on Facebook to, later and do some search. It's not, it's not on there. Good luck finding a picture. Somebody's got it. My cousin, if you're listening, Stephen, you can put it out there. I don't care. Uh, but, uh, yeah, my, my, my aunt had an old bridesmaid's dress she lent me, and they gave me a wig, and uh, I put some makeup on. Heels? And, uh, no, I... I we had a long-standing tradition at my high school that the uh, the homecoming queen would be uh, assaulted by everybody else. So I wore uh, tennis shoes so that I could run as fast as I could, and I almost made it off the field. I was blindsided by my friend of mine, who was also our middle linebacker, and then I was covered in shaving cream and left to uh, go back to the uh, to to change clothes. 
Did you wear pantyhose? No, for God's sakes. Well, I mean, I didn't know how into this whole thing you got. So maybe I didn't get, I didn't get very into it. I'll put it that way. H- have you dressed in drag since? I have not, no. Have you contemplated it? I have not, no. <laughs> I just was curious. Uh, I, I, I thought this might be like getting to know you time and we no, were all no, learning no, just, something about you. Just a, just a one-time deal. That's the voice of Brian Haydad. Uh, be sure to check out the Thunder and Lightning podcast. He and Joel Coleman talking all things Mississippi State. Many of you have done that uh, over the course of the last year, and I uh, hope you'll continue to. You can also check out Rippy's podcast, The Rebel Report, in which he talks all things Ole Miss and other stuff as well. Right? Yeah. I think we're going to start up a complaint segment. Complaints? It's going to basically what happened before the show today. I think I'm going to do it once a week. Okay. Um. So you were mad about being on the homecoming court. I was. Did that in turn mean your mom ended up mad at you for being mad? I probably could have been a better sport about it in hindsight. You think? <laughs> Maybe just slightly. <laughs> but what about the? I mean, it, you you clearly were thinking only about yourself because yes, I this was. was probably a special moment for the homecoming maid whom you were escorting. I didn't. I mean, I let's not let's not blow it out of proportion. I wasn't like making a scene or anything. I was just slowly dying on the inside. Did you smile though? I did. I thought you just said you didn't smile. There are a couple thousand photos. For me to say I smiled on every single one of them would probably be disingenuous. I don't know. Do you think the uh, the the young lady with with whom you marched in a tuxedo that night um, felt like it was less special than it could have been because you had a bad attitude? No, I was in a tux. I looked awesome. I didn't show this bad attitude. Afterwards, I just kind of looked around, and I was like, that was one of the worst things I've ever done. Hmm. Did you tell her that? No, of course not. It wasn't. It had nothing to do with that. It was just the, the dressing up, the pictures. is not really my thing. Did she have to... Was she your date for the homecoming dance also? No, just an escort. Yeah, but I mean, after you get all dressed up and take 2,000 pictures with her, maybe you should have asked her to go to homecoming as well. Did you have a homecoming date? I did. I had a girlfriend in high school. Was she, was she uh, upset by you escorting another young lady? I got voted on. It would be you know going against democracy. I don't see how you can be upset with that. Well, I mean, you could have asked to get out of it. The NBA is. I tried to. Uh, I tried to. Uh, I I wanted to delegate my appointment to a more worthy candidate, but that was not seen as prudent. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most political thing you've ever it said. The, yeah, it's one of the. Probably would have been the, one of the greatest gestures in Mississippi political history, not to brag, but they didn't let it if, if, if nominated, I will not run. If elected, I will not serve. Brian Scott Rippey. That doesn't seem to be it going. That doesn't seem to be going around these days. It wasn't yeah. that bad, to be completely honest. But seventeen-year-old me was not happy about getting in a suit and then getting in a tux and getting back out of a tux into a suit to take a bunch of pictures for about a thirteen-hour span. That was really. Not it wasn't out. thirteen hours. It was what seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning until once the football game. So you get to skip the whole day of school. I don't know. We were paraded around like a zoo exhibit through the pep rally and all kinds of stuff. There's no skipping anything. A zoo exhibit, that man said. C Spire text line 601-879-4395. C Spire text line. One of the best new phones is here. And C Spire is celebrating with a fully loaded deal Buy the latest phones and get another one free, plus $100 off the newest wearable technology. Learn more at cspire.com. Cspire, 
customer inspired. See, if your mom had had one of these fancy new phones from C Spire that has three lenses on the back of it, she could have taken up close pictures, regular pictures, and like telescopic lens pictures as well. Yeah, I got a new phone shortly after homecoming that year. So, you know, maybe I should have gone with C Spire. Zach in Oxford, he says he hopes that this poor young lady that you escorted is not listening. What's she doing now? I actually, uh, to, to be 100% honest, I don't, I don't remember who it was. No! I really don't because like, it wasn't like a, it was like just like a setup thing. Like, it's not like you were like, like the, there was not much time, I don't think, and effort put into being paired off. Like four people got elected, four people got elected, and then they just kind of paired you up. It wasn't like, like the pairing wasn't. I guess that. your girlfriend was not one of the. No. Okay. I don't. Uh, yeah. Ceasefire text line: Rippy makes the show. Dude keeps me rolling. Amanda from Pike County. What high school, Rippy? Wait, what? What high school? Oh, I went to uh, Jackson Academy. Raider Nation, you can go in the gym, find my jersey hanging in the rafters. <laughs> Based on the one shot you made? No, nah, it's not really there. Uh, Thomas in Greenwood it says that we have a powder puff game tonight, and I'm trying to get my daughter's boyfriend to say the line from Silence of the Lambs to mess with the coach. Good call. What line is that? It rubs the lotion on its skin. Uh... Little creepy. We can't, there's a, there's another lie, but we can't say that on the air. Yeah, that's uh, that's a little creepy. Yeah, um, so a lot coming up this afternoon. We're going to jump in baseball because what a baseball day yesterday was. Two results that more than likely you did not see coming. More than likely, we'll get into those coming up in uh, in just a bit. Lee Sterling will join us from Paramount Sports. We'll give us his picks for the weekend, including a uh, a game of the week. We're going to talk Ole Miss, Missouri with Peter Ball from The Athletic. John Harris will join us. Should be a pretty lively NFL discussion with uh, with John. Mike Frazier from Juco Weekly will be on a little bit later this afternoon as we run through the games that are happening in the junior college ranks. Baseball stuff, NFL slate this weekend, and a whole lot more. Uh, hey, Dad, we've made it to Thursday. Is there anything, uh, is there a thought that you have about Mississippi State, Tennessee that have you, you you have not yet said out loud this week? I think it's going to be close. Okay. I think State's going to win, but it's going to be close. Give my prediction, obviously, on tomorrow's show and on tomorrow's Thunder and Lightning podcast, but I think it's going to be close. I am interested to see what Lee Sterling has to say about that game when we talk with him later this afternoon, and then also tomorrow what Bruce Marshall has to say about Mississippi State and Tennessee. Same uh, same question, Rip. Anything you've not said out loud yet this week about Ole Miss and Missouri that's on your mind? The crowd thing was an interesting point, or the like the Cardinals thing, how that affects the crowd. I don't really like. I haven't anticipated what the crowd size would be. I'm really good at estimating that. You are not. You are not good at that. But is it loud and is it crowded? That'd be interesting. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started on this Thursday with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank. All right, with baseball yesterday, you had opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of drama. The Atlanta Braves give up 10 runs in the top of the first inning, so they do not come to the plate before giving up 10 in the Department uh, department of Redundancy here. They're down 10 to nothing going to the bottom of the first. Only scratch for one run, a Josh Donaldson solo home run, and the St. Louis Cardinals advance to the World Series with a 
fifteen to one win over the Braves. Braves season is over. Cardinals move on, and I think most people, if you had asked the question at all oh, about six thirty or five thirty yesterday afternoon, they would have said, "Yeah, Cardinals moving on, presumably against the Dodgers." Not the case. The Los Angeles Dodgers were leading three to one in the top of the eighth inning last night. Mm-hmm. In the top of the seventh, I'll oh, stop it. <laughs> top of the seventh, Clayton Kershaw came in, got a strikeout to get out of a jam. Ooh. Did exactly what he needed to do. And then Dave Roberts with um pretty well equipped bullpen ready to go elected to bring Clayton Kershaw back for the top of the 8th inning and he gave up back-to-back solo home runs to Anthony Rendon and uh Juan Soto. Uh Soto had 34 home runs this year and then gets a big one last night. That makes it 3 to 3. They go to extra innings, and in the top of the 10th inning, a grand slam from Howie Kendrick to make it 7-3, to and then the Nationals hang on. I think uh, the Dodgers got one base runner in the bottom of the uh, 10th. Joe Kelly takes the loss. Uh, Hudson gets the win. Daniel Hudson for the uh, the Washington Nationals. A lot to unpack in this ball game. Do you, do you mind if Rippy, I say something real quick? Uh, just a quick thing. Do you mind? Do you mind if I say something? Oh no, be be my guest, hey Dad. <clears throat> you hate to see it. Thank you. Are you done? I am I know, but that will that'll do for now. That'll do for now. Yeah. Rippy, where do you start with this one? I don't know how Dave Roberts keeps his job. Okay. Because of the way that he managed the game post-Walker Bueller? Yeah, it made no sense. I mean, I don't know how you can bungle it that badly. Are you okay with him going to Kershaw for one out in the seventh? No, but it wasn't as bad. Because it was a lefty-lefty matchup there? Sure, whatever. He gets eaten out, but like he shouldn't have done that anyway. But it worked. Like That wasn't completely indefensible, I don't guess, because it is lefty-lefty and it is a pretty good batter. And, you know, with his postseason demons, you know, you let him get out there and feel good about himself. But running him out there to the eighth, eighth is just like feeding him to the wolves. It's one of the more baffling things I've ever seen. It makes no sense. So what, like should, people will continue what should they have the, done in the eighth? Going straight to Maeda? Yeah, but he didn't want Maeda to face Juan Soto, which I actually can't even remember if he came. He did, yeah, because he hit the... It home. was Rendon and then Soto. Yeah, but like go to... I mean, they have Adam Kolarik. They have... Kenley Jansen, who didn't even was one of the best, probably the best closer in baseball the last three years, probably not this year, and he didn't pitch until it was a seven three game. Like running Kershaw back out for the eighth makes absolutely no sense. Or you could have gone to Joe Kelly for that. Look, but look what happened right after it. He gave up the two home runs, and then Kente Maeda just sliced through all three hitters, and it was over. Three strikeouts. Yes, it 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 is baffling. I I can't. I was sitting there like watching it, and I was like, I can't believe what he's doing. But like. Mm. That'll add to the po- Kershaw can't pitch in the postseason narrative. Well, like, is it really a narrative at this point? I mean, I he's one of the greatest the pitchers of a generation. He has more than a handful of shutout. I mean, 
lights out shutdown type starts in the postseason. So it's not like he can't pitch in the postseason. He's been less solid, but like look what he did in game three. He was fine. But putting him in there is just setting up setting him up to fail. It makes absolutely no sense. He throws 92 miles an hour. He's coming off his least efficient season in a decade. Why would you do that? There's no scenario where you could justify that other than I was feeling it. And that's what he said. Bueller was really good, six and two-thirds, four hits, one earned run. He had seven strikeouts through 117 pitches. Everything you could ask for and more from a starter in an elimination game in the postseason. I know. Apparently Skip Bayless watched his first baseball game since this time last year. He wanted Walker <laughs> Bueller to remain in the game at 117 pitches. <laughs> but Kershaw I- comes in and throws six pitches. Five of them were strikes. Two of them left the building. The first one, one wasn't was a bad really pitch. A the dude went and got a slider that was probably going to hit the plate if he didn't get out in front of it. And the second one, he just left up a. I mean, it was a meatball. Yes, it was. It, it was, was an eighty-nine mile an hour fastball. Slide. Yeah, yeah. The first one was not a bad pitch. The second one was a bad pitch. But again, I don't, I don't, I don't know how you can fault Clayton Kershaw for doing something that he's not good at doing. Joe Kelly was, um, he's pretty good in the ninth. But should not have come back tenth. out for the tenth. No. I understand why you don't bring a closer into the game right there without a lead. But once it gets to extra innings and it's an elimination game, that's the best arm left. You're in a tie game. Go get three outs and then worry about what happens if you can't score. He treated it like they were up 2-0 and about to go back to Los Angeles for a game four or something if they didn't win this one. Like There was no urgency. It made no sense. He didn't really have a plan. His justification for pitching Kershaw was he's one of the best pitchers of the our generation. I would take my chances with him any day of the week. Like, really? Yeah, but he's like, a starter. Yeah, like are the he's Giants, a starter. Are the Giants going to run Eli Manning out there today because of the two Super Bowls? Probably not. Makes no sense. Steven Strasburg gave Washington a chance. He gave up three innings uh, runs, two in the first, one in the second, but he ended up going six innings and gave up only six hits. He struck out seven. And then the bullpen was lights out. The combination of Rainey and then Corbin and then Hudson and then Sean Doolittle shut it down at the end. And the Washington Nationals move on. You have been, you've been on the Nationals train all season long. They stumbled out of the gates. You kept telling us, kept telling us, kept telling us this team has played maybe the best baseball of anybody in the league, certainly in that group of four or five teams for the remainder of the year. Oh, they're nineteen and thirty-one at one point. They probably would have won the division if they not for the first fifty games, but obviously you can't discount that. But yeah, they're really good. The only way the Dodgers were getting knocked out is that they faced a team like that in a five-game series versus a seven, and that's exactly what happened. Which fan base is more disappointed today? The Dodgers. They've won three hundred games the last three seasons. They have nothing to show for it. Well, I was going to say Dodgers or Braves. Oh, I thought you were going Dodgers-Nats between those two. No, no, which, which fan base is more disappointed today, Dodgers or Braves? Dodgers, without a doubt. They've been back-to-back World Series. They were the best team in the National League, and they let that happen. Literally solely because of their manager. Like I get they didn't add on after like the fourth inning or whatever off Strasburg, but if you manage that somewhat competently... like. You could stick the average baseball fan and roll him out of a bar and into the dugout and be like, here's what you got, and it could have ended in a better result. That was baffling to me. Seaspire text line, Roberts tried to be cute instead of sticking with what won you 100 games. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but is that even getting cute? It's illogical. 
Like, I don't understand how going to Kershaw is getting cute. Like, to me, that's not a defensible strategy. Like, it's not being like, oh, I'll put Jansen in in the eighth and go for six outs. Like, that's getting cute. Putting Kershaw in there is just baffling. So, like, I don't necessarily disagree, but I don't know how to describe that. Richard from Wiggins calls Clayton Kershaw Mr. Not October. He's definitely not the same pitcher in October, but like to act like he's a complete and total disaster for his entire career in the month of October is just not factually correct. A little disingenuous? Yes. Did you guys watch these games last night? I know, hey, Dad, you've sworn off the baseball playoffs because the Giants aren't there. I might watch a little now because the team I, I despise is out. Do you know how much you would have enjoyed watching last night? I kept up. I kept up with it. I just didn't watch. It was a cool moment for Howie Kendrick because he had a horrendous series, and then he hit that and knew it was out as soon as he hit it. Yeah, the, the, the good folks at Freezing Cold Takes had a bunch of Howie Kendrick stuff loaded and ready to go. <laughs> well, I don't even know if those takes are cold. He just had a good moment because he had a horrible series. Yeah. Lucas in Union says playoff Kershaw is playoff Peyton Manning. Uh, Peyton Manning's got two Super Bowl wins, though, doesn't he? Yeah. Now, play, there wasn't a time in his career before he got the two Super Bowls that that was a, that was a real thing. It's not a but, completely awful analogy because Peyton did have slip-ups and struggles in the postseason yeah. for a generationally dominant of quarterback, course, which is kind of the same thing as Kershaw. Yeah, his, his slip-ups so were against Tom Brady. I mean, it's not like he was slipping up against, you know, Hannah you know. Eckers. Um... Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming online at supertalk.fm on this Thursday afternoon. Hadn't heard from any Braves fans on uh, which one is uh, more difficult to swallow. Probably still drinking. Possibly. Guy's been really, really good in the big leagues for a really long time. After the game in Atlanta yesterday said, no mas. He's stepping away. We'll tell you who and why when we come back in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Thursday. Brian McCann attended Duluth High School in Duluth, Georgia. He was ranked the 26th best high school prospect by Baseball America coming out of high school. Redundant and initially committed to play college baseball for Alabama. He did not go to Alabama after being drafted in the second round of the 2002 draft by basically his hometown Atlanta Braves. Had a $750,000 signing bonus and went on to play for 15 years in the big leagues. Yesterday was his final game. Borky, you say after the way it ended he just couldn't take it anymore? Yeah, well, if I had to play in a game like that, I'd probably retire, too. Oh. 35-year-old Brian McCann, after the 13-1 loss to the visiting St. Louis Cardinals, told reporters in the locker room, this is it for me. I'm going to go home and be a dad and play with those kids. 15 years in the big leagues, he made just a little more than $129 million, which makes it a little easier to retire at the young age of 35. How about this stretch from 2012, which was, let's see, got into the big leagues in 2005. So he played 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So seven years. He made a bunch of money in his first seven years. But starting in year eight, so his last two years with the Braves the first time around, he made $11.5 million, $12 million. 
and then made $17 million for three straight years with the Yankees. And then a combination of uh, Yankees and the Astros in 2017, he made $17 million. And then again, with the money split between the Astros and the Yankees in 2018, he made another $17 million. Won a World Series with the Astros last year. Came back to play for his double-A manager, Brian Snitker. Played on a one-year, $2 million fully guaranteed contract and is now hanging it up. And doesn't he, I mean, Rippy, you were around Major League Baseball in a more intimate way last year. Isn't this one of those guys that has a reputation that's just kind of impeccable in big league circles? Yeah, I think to some degree. I'd say he's fairly old-fashioned, big unwritten rules guy. But, yeah, had a really good career, won a World Series. Probably not a Hall of Famer, but, yeah, I mean, cool that he finished it where he started. Got to a 1,000 RBIs for his career this season. Kind of a fan favorite everywhere he went. Yeah, he seems like a swell dude. <laughs> Jeez. But, I don't know, cool story, got to end it. I mean, bad note that he ended on, but he gets to come back to Atlanta, wins the World Series, had a pretty solid career, made an okay amount of money. I don't think he'll be sweating it anytime soon. 1,000 career RBIs, 262 career average, 282 home runs. This year he hit 249 with 12 home runs and 45 ribbies in 85 games. Lots of people today, Borky, are doing the ha-ha-ha-ha-ha thing in the general direction of Bryce Harper. You think that's dumb? It's very dumb. Uh, one, because look at the contract he's making, but baseball is just such a unique sport where it's not like being without Bryce Harper made the Nationals better. A lot of other things have to go in their favor. A lot of other things have to go right. And baseball is just, it's such a sport of, of failure in that. It, that's, that was the whole debate about Harper's contract to begin with. Is, is one single player worth this because they don't have that much of an impact, especially a non-pitcher, on these games? So it just, it, that kind of stuff doesn't make sense to me. The, oh, wow, look at Washington now without Harper. He's an idiot. They got better without him. That that's just kind of nonsense. You disagree, Rippy? You think they were better without him? I don't know. I mean, that 2012 team may have won the whole thing if they had to shut down Strasburg when he was on like the innings limit and all of that. But I think they did the right thing by not paying him the contract because they had a bunch of young players coming up, and I think they were a better team than they were his last year there. But I don't like. And if I remember correctly. They were willing to pay him, like three hundred million, right? Yeah, but I think he wanted to move on. Fair enough. I don't think he gave them much of a chance. But like, they're a better team this year than they were the last two years, I think. But I mean, in twenty sixteen, they went to game. They just couldn't get out of the DS. They lost the Dodgers in Game Five at home in the DS in sixteen, and you know, same with the Cubs in fifteen. No, maybe it was the Cubs in 16, Dodgers in 17. I don't remember, but point being, like, just because they win an elimination game is kind of more of it. But I don't know. I mean, they're better than they were a year ago. Are they a better franchise without Harper? I have no idea. Bryce Harper is going to have a new manager next year. When he was introduced as the Philadelphia Phillies manager in 2017, Gabe Kapler said his goal was to bring a World Series title to team owner John Middleton. After two seasons without a playoff berth, the Phillies fired Kapler, whose team's... 
whose team went 81 and 81 this year. They underachieved even with the addition of big money free agent Bryce Harper. Uh, Kapler was not a big analytics guy, right? No. He just wants to play it the way it feels. Kapler is the third consecutive Phillies manager to be fired after no more than two full seasons, joining Pete uh, Pete Mackinnon and Ryan Sandberg. Had a poster of him on my wall as a kid. I don't think Kapler is really running the show there. Middleton said general manager Matt Klintak will lead the team's search for a new manager. That's the owner saying the GM will lead the search. Phillies are the eighth team seeking a new manager this offseason, joining the Angels, who it looks like are going to hire Joe Madden, the Cubs, who got rid of Joe Madden, the Giants, who had a Hall of Famer and Bruce Bochy retire, the Mets, who dropped Mickey Calloway after two seasons, the Padres, who I have no idea who was managing them, Pirates who uh, got rid of Clint Hurdle, or did he retire? Clint Hurdle got axed. And the Royals who saw Ned Yost retire. The uh, the Padres manager was Andy Green. Okay. But I don't know. I mean, Kapler, like, they fired his hitting coach and brought in 75-year-old Charlie Manuel. Right, he was kind of on the wall at that point? Yeah. I mean... Are, are any of these teams going to hire managers that we've heard of before? Joe, Joe Madden's getting a job. Yeah. Are the Cubs going to hire David Ross? I would lean, yeah, but like Girardi's in the mix. Who's a former Cub himself. And I, mean, I don't think they're going the Michigan man route. I think they're just trying to find something that makes sense. No, I understand. Hey, Dad, who are the Giants going to hire? The last name I saw reading the guys on The Athletic, Andrew Baggerly and, and Grant Brisby, was Mark Kotze, who's actually with the A's right now. Okay. Uh, Not as the Will manager. Clark. No, no, no. He's he's one of their uh, their analysts or something like that. Of course, former MLB guy, too. And, uh, well, of course, Will Clark's name has been thrown around. Um, and then is there, there was any another... – uh, sorry, is there any chatter about the former catcher um, – why can I not think of his name – from Mississippi – who's worked with the Giants for the last couple of years. Um, Buster Posey's back up a couple of seasons ago from Mississippi. Come on, guys. Marrero? No. Uh, I'll come up with it in a second. Being a manager is so different than it was even just like half a decade ago. You probably just need a guy that can manage bullpen arms and fatigue and basically keep personalities in order. Like, you know. Whiteside. That's it. Haven't heard that name. Okay. AJ Hinch is a psychology major. I think that's a big reason why he's so good at his job. Because, yeah. like, it's all the numbers and stuff. They basically kind of have a play sheet from the GM as to what to do throughout a given game. I think Dave, Rog- Dave Roberts lit his on fire. <laughs> Eli Whiteside. That's who I was trying to come up with a second ago. Thank you. For uh, that on the ceasefire text line, I can always count on you. Not sure who that was. Um, Mickey. Thanks, Mickey. So, yeah, Eli Whiteside, name I was trying to come up with. Um, all right, so you've got Astros Rays tonight in the. I mean, can we keep it going with this whole upset in the playoffs thing? 
I think they're set up well. I don't know if they'll win the game, but they're set up well pitching-wise, and they're not short on confidence. They would be a better story than anybody if they won the whole thing. Rippy's Rays versus Richard's Yankees in the ALCS. Let's go. Oh, my prediction's already vindicated. They did their work. Who, the Nats? Or the Rays? Rays. So they'd finish above the Red Sox or the Yankees in the division. They did. Their season's going to end before the Yankees does as well. Might be head-to-head. One way or another, it's going to end before the Yankees does. Rays 2019 World Series champions. Book it. You sure you want to double down on that? You've already been vindicated. Sometimes you just need to know when you take your chips, put them in your pocket, and be grateful for your winning. No, I don't really believe this, but be my Shannon Sharp for a second, man. Squatting on a take. Whatever, Skip. Ain't no problem. Ain't no problem. (laughs) That was pretty good, hey, Dad. Thank you. Really cool story involving a Mississippian that we've got for you next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Let's go, let's go. This is your new home for exclusive sports coverage here in the Magnolia State. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Recognize the name Demario Davis? That one do anything for you, Borky? He's one of the better linebackers in all of football right now. Yeah, there's that. There's that. The Saints, Demario Davis from Collins, Mississippi. High school football at Brandon. Arkansas State, third round pick of the 2012 draft. He was the 77th pick overall. He's already parlayed his violation of an NFL rule on game day attire into a charity fundraising drive when the story took an even happier turn for the New Orleans Saints linebacker. According to Demario Davis, story comes from the Washington Post, He won an appeal of the $7,017 fine handed to him by the league. And he said that that money instead will go toward the cause that he has been promoting. The eighth-year NFL player, Demario Davis, in his second season with the Saints, went on to assert that he would be taking every penny of that original $7,017 fine and donating it to St. Dominic's Hospital in Jackson where he grew up. According to the hospital, Davis's mother worked there while he starred in high school before he went on to become, as I mentioned, a third-round pick of the Jets. Sales of headbands emblazoned with Man of God and Woman of God to raise funds for St. Dominic picked up after the NFL informed Davis that he would be fined for wearing one during a September game between the Saints and the Seahawks. He quickly posted an image of one of the headbands and asked his followers on social media, should I continue to wear it or nah? Davis decided to stop wearing the garment on game days, thus sparing himself the prospect of greater fines, but his post, which included a link 
to a website where the headbands were available for purchase went viral. And so now we get this from DeMario Davis. So far, we've raised over $30,000 for the hospital from the headbands. That means y'all helped me turn a $7,000 negative into an almost $40,000 positive benefiting people who truly need it. That's a cool story. Yeah, he's one of the good ones. He's got a, a pretty rough uh, go at it for a while. I mean, he even talks about how he, he got arrested and just got himself right. Now he's doing things like this and one of the better linebackers in the NFL, and it's it's all worked out for him. So just a really cool story all around. I mean, I think we get why the NFL limits what people can wear. I mean, part of it is sponsorship stuff. I mean, you you got to have a company that's paying the NFL a whole bunch of money in order to be able to wear their stuff on game days. So that's part of it. But the other part of it is they want to control the message a little bit. They don't want every player going out and supporting whatever cause is near and dear to their heart because not every cause is probably going to line up with the league, what the league believes to be important. But it feels like there's an element of hand-raised guy here, doesn't there? Go, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. What's this guy doing that's harming anything? Well, I mean, I guess I do it both sides of it. They, what? They, they they are good about. I give. I'm a, shocking news here. I'm gonna give the NFL some credit for something, but they are pretty good about everybody gets fined. If if your uniform is not what it's supposed to be, you get fined. That's they they do a good job of that. They don't allow you know they let this they let this fine go. I think probably because of some public outcry, but it, it, for the most part, if you've got a uniform violation, then you they, get fined you for it. They they get you for it. Yeah, they find Big Ben for having an Apple Watch. Like, assuming he knows how to use an Apple Watch and cheat on one is quite the leap. Like, they don't discriminate. Well, I mean, if you're going to find for an Apple Watch, you've also got to find for a, uh, a Richard Mule watch. No, because they didn't have messaging capabilities. Oh, did he not get fined for that? You can't have, like, no. any kind of, like, smart watch or anything like that on the sideline. And I think uh, OBJ part- did get fined for it, but not not the same reason. I think his. I bet a big reason that. Big Ben got fined for that. Is it's Apple and they and the NFL has that huge contract with Microsoft. With Microsoft on the sidelines. <laughs> if you've been wearing whatever the Microsoft version of that is, I bet it may not have been a problem. Hey, Dad. To your point just a second ago, you know what the NFL also does a good job of backtracking and getting it right when there's public outcry over a good cause. I mean, you remember yeah. Zeke Elliott and the Salvation Army yeah. bucket a few years yeah, yeah. ago? Yeah, you're right. You're right. So. NBA's not backtracking on this, you know, whole communism thing very well. They're not, not really not. tracking at all. They're just sort of going. They're kicking people out of arenas in the United States for this kind of stuff now. It's mind-blowing. Which makes them look like China. Exactly. <laughs> Craziest story I've seen so far on this is that you already have teams who are looking at what a reduction in the projected $116 million salary cap might look like in 2020 based on losing a billion and a half dollars in revenue from China. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Is the rest of the show with you this afternoon. Lee Sterling will join us in 15 minutes to talk college football lines, maybe a couple of pro lines as well. 
He'll join us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Also, Peter Ball from The Athletic covers Missouri will join us at 437. Got your pick of the day coming up. We'll chat with John Harris in the 5 o'clock hour. And also, Juco Mike coming up. Mike Frazier from Juco Weekly a little bit uh, later this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. You've got land financing needs, they can help. If you're a farmer in North Mississippi, you need to buy a piece of property, buy some equipment, maybe it's time for a uh, tractor or a combine or a cotton picker. I mean, probably don't need that for right now because you're wrapping things up for this year, but already looking ahead to next year, thinking about the equipment purchases that you need to make, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Borky, you are selling me hard on this weekend in the NFL. It's not that hard of a sell when you look at it. Okay. Giants at the Pats tonight. New England is the largest favorite in the history of Thursday night football. They are a 17-point favorite tonight against the Giants, who are without Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, and Sterling Shepard. Yeah, this one might get ugly for Danny Dimes. That's a word for that one, uh, Rippy. Less than ideal. Yeah. Some might even call it suboptimal. Maybe. You've kind of retired that, haven't you? I haven't used it as heavily. I was giving hate out a break from defending it. Appreciate that. Seahawks at Browns? You think that's a good game? Well, Seattle's only a point-and-a-half favorite, but it it's an important game for Cleveland. Uh, and everybody's so hot and cold about Baker Mayfield. He's great this week. He's bad the next week. But this is kind of a put-up-or-shut-up game for Cleveland. Uh, you had all the talk all offseason about how Freddie Kitchens is going to lead them to the playoffs and all this crap. And uh, they're 2-3 they're and three now. And if they lose this game the way that a lot of people, it sounded like you included, myself as well, think that they will, uh, they are who they always have been. And it was a, a cast of characters that when you put them together didn't make a whole lot of sense anyway. All talented guys, but all um, being nice, unique personalities mixed together with a bad offensive line. What did you expect was going to happen? But they were the darling of the offseason, and if you know if they lose to Seattle at home, they're just the regular old Browns. Wonder whose hands will shake and not shake. How what a joke that was. What the video vindicated Baker Mayfield. Yeah, and then Richard Sherman goes on uh Pat McAfee's podcast and his response was, Yeah, my bad. So he just made it up? Just well, I think he just gets so psyched out for games, like that's just how he's wired, that he just kind of envisions stuff that's not necessarily true. Because remember after they beat San Francisco in the NFC I can't remember if it was a divisional round or the NFC championship game. Where he just started screaming, I think at Rachel Nichols about like don't ever, like talk to me or whatever, and she was like, "Who's talking to you?" And he's like Crabtree. And then it was a very bizarre rant that probably didn't happen. Like I think that's just kind of how he rolls. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, it was very she, weird. She did handle that pretty well, didn't she? Yeah, 
because he's like screaming uncontrollably, like you know, I'd be like, "What is this guy on?" And then she's like, "You know, who's talking to you?" Oh, but they've been gift wrapped that division, and they're still not even going to make the playoffs. I mean, if you look at it, Baltimore's not any good. Pittsburgh lost their quarterback, then lost their backup. They're one and four, and Cincinnati's probably worse than Miami and are competing for Tua Tagovailoa. Like they're abysmal. That's their division, and they'll still probably miss the playoffs. That's rough. Do you guys see how cool that stadium was last week in London? They didn't play it at Wembley. They played it at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Hey, Dad, you've probably Tottenham. already seen this because Tottenham. of soccer. Yeah, Tottenham. Not Tottenham. Sorry? Not Tottenham. Tottenham. Greenville, Greenville, Starkville, Starkville. I mean, I don't even what? like Tottenham, so I'm just, but I'm just saying. Bogachito, Bogachita. What's a Hotspur? Uh, it's just their name, man. It's 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 a Shakespearean reference. The point in all of that was you've seen the stadium, right? Yeah, it's it's really nice. They got a really it's big empty awesome. trophy room. It's a beautiful game. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's where the Bears and the Raiders Wait. played last week. That's where Panthers and I mean sometimes Porky. <laughs> I just Googled Hotspur. It's a person whose spur is hot from rash or constant riding. Why would you name your team after that? Maybe why they haven't won a championship in ever. That is the dumbest know. thing I've ever heard. It's like they've got a little bit of a hitch in their giddy-up. <laughs> that is I mean, a fantastic There's point. some dumb ones in the United States, too, that you just don't think about. Like, what's a brown? Other than maybe... They were named after the coach, Paul Brown. Okay. Um... Red leg. Yeah. Well, the Lakers doesn't make much sense because they were in Minnesota. The Utah Jazz doesn't make any sense at all because they started in New Orleans. But Well, that makes all the sense in the world where they were originally named. Right. But it's not literally a person whose spur is hot from rash or constant riding. That is the worst team nickname I've ever heard. Got to watch out for that rash and constant riding. They go by spurs. That helps. They go by what's their uh, saying? Uh, to do, to dare is to do. Audir a farseer. You got any uh, Big Twelve hand motions? <laughs> so- There's not a lot of that in soccer, I don't think. the The reason that I mentioned that was the uh, Panthers nice and the stadium. Buccaneers will play at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, yeah. eight thirty a.m. kickoff on Sunday, uh, Central Time. Borky, you usually know this kind of stuff. Why was the last London game at noon unlike the other ones that are usually played like two or three hours before? That I honestly don't know. Okay. It yeah, doesn't so make that sense. wrapped up at what, like 9.30 Sunday night in London last week? It was a noon game. Kicked off at noon. For it our was time. noon where we are. Yeah. So that means it was a... Six o'clock or seven o'clock kickoff. Six o'clock kickoff. But if you're going to do the specialty game, why would you mix it in with all the others? This makes perfect sense, starting it at eight thirty our time, because you have your novelty game that literally everybody's going to watch because it's the only game on. I actually, I might be in the minority on this. I don't necessarily disagree with you, Borky, but I think it's probably more so to cater towards the people in London because half the time when they play one of these London games, I wake up in like the third quarter after, especially if Ole Miss has played a night game, and I'm like, oh, this is on. Yeah, I mean, look like, do you, how many people do you think get up and week? watch it? Well, it's nine thirty Eastern time, and I mean, most people wake up and plenty of time to see an eight thirty game. Are they on a uh, mainstream television? NFL Network. 
Okay. Texans at Chiefs. Chiefs trying to bounce back from their first loss. Uh, loss. Texans put a bunch of points on the board last week against um, Atlanta. Noon kickoff there. Redskins at Dolphins. Ooh. Woof. The Tua Bowl. Jeez. Redskins. What is it? What's the line on that? Three and a half, Washington. I think it opened uh, a couple weeks ago at like six because I read an article from a CBS guy and it was like projecting two weeks ahead and it's like an 0 and 4 team is a six and a half point favorite over the Dolphins. The over Are the Dolphins that, that much worse than the Redskins? The over under so, is gross. Not 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 the number. That the actual word gross. That's what the over under is for this game. Nobody should watch it. What is the number? Forty one. I was hoping it would be something absurd like you'd never seen in the NFL, like, you know, 28. Minnesota's a three-point favorite at home against the Eagles. Boy, that's one not real sure what to do with. Jacksonville's a favorite at home against the Saints. One-point favorite for the Jaguars at 2-3 and three against the 4-1 Saints. Here's kind of a hot take for you. I think this is Teddy Bridgewater's toughest test yet. And I know going to Seattle is much more difficult than going to Jacksonville, but... The Saints started that game with a defensive touchdown and a punt return for a touchdown and asked Teddy Bridgewater to do nothing difficult, just manage the lead and get out of here. And I think Jack, I mean, that kind of thing happening again in Jacksonville is not likely, right? You're not going to return a uh, punt for a touchdown and then turn around and your defense is going to score another one. That's just not very likely. So he's going to have to. difficult because Gardner Minshew is there. I mean, that's all I need to know. Well, that too, but I still would take Wilson over over Minshew. But he's going to be asked to actually win a road game for the first time since the year 2015. It's a little bit different, more difficult, I think. Ravens are an 11-point favorite at home against the Bengals. The Rams are a three-point favorite at home against the undefeated 49ers. Atlanta is a -a two-and-a-half-point favorite at the Arizona Cardinals coming off their first win. Denver, a a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Tennessee Titans. Dallas, seven-point favorite on the road against the Jets. And the Chargers are a a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home against the Steelers, Lions, and Packers. That's Monday Night Football. Green Bay favored by four. Lee Sterling joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team thursday afternoon that means it's time for lee sterling from paramount sports paramountsports.com lee what's up well had a pretty good week but um kind of stay away from those games to lose on <laughs> lose on the last possession so uh that's what football and gambling's all about i guess right those are the ones that make you want to just take Whatever hair you have on your head, and just rip it out and go. You got to be kidding me! Sometimes I'd rather lose by a, by 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 thirty forty points. You'd rather be the Braves uh, yesterday? No, no, I don't bet baseball. I I I, I haven't bet no, baseball but, for eighteen nineteen years. I might bet two three games a year, but uh, at least if you had the Braves, at least that's over early. But those are the kind of games. Uh, I mean, those are the games that might take two, three months if you're a fan to get over. Lee, we do a a pick of the day on the the show, and I I did it early yesterday. Took the over in the Braves-Cardinals game. That was the pick of the day. (laughs) That was the pick of the decade. Yeah, yeah, felt felt real good about that. 
and actually, actually includes baseball. It's probably 19, 20 years ago, or more, maybe 23, 24 years. I had seen Fernando Valenzuela pitch. I had one of those big dishes, and I'm watching him. I'm like, he's just throwing up softballs. He's like throwing low to mid-70s. And I think he lasted like two innings. Next game, I'm like, I'm going to give this game out. I'm going to pound this game. I'm going to bet it big. What does he do? He pitches a no-hitter. <laughs> That's when you go, yeah, trends. We'll just throw the trends right. out the uh, out no, the door. No, when I saw him, I'm like, I'm like I, I might be able to hit him. He's throwing so soft. But uh, who knows? Maybe he was throwing a spitter or something that day. All right, let's have some fun with these games coming up this weekend. A couple of interesting ones involving the uh, the teams from the state of Mississippi, both on the road. Ole Miss is at Missouri. Uh, Missouri's a 12-point favorite in the game. Looks like Kelly Bryant's going to play. They're without Cale Garrett, the uh, linebacker who had three defensive scores, was leading the team in, uh, in tackles and interceptions on the year. Ole Miss playing a little bit better. Missouri had the one loss to Wyoming to open the season. Since then, they've won four in a row. What do, what do we do with this one? I, I think you're right, Ole Miss here. I think that they're playing some really good ball right now. 31-point efforts on offense back-to-back weeks. An eye-popping 279 and 413 rushing yards the last two games. And uh, only two teams uh, plus 66 rushing yards in, in their last six games on defense. They are going to have to start developing a pass game. They're gonna Teams are going to start loading the box. It's just the way it is. You know, They scout you, and they can... These, these, most of these coaches are pretty smart, so uh, I think they're going to have to throw the ball a little bit more. But and Missouri does have a pretty good run defense, but uh, right now Kelly Bryant is banged up and not a hundred percent. And sophomore Taylor Powell, um, he had zero points. He stepped in the sophomore second half versus Troy. So Rich Rod um, knows how to manage. Uh, you know, a quarterback uh, who runs like Plumlee. He had uh, Tate at Arizona. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Missouri wins the game 34-28, but I'm taking the 12 points, and Ole Miss wouldn't shock me if they win the game outright. All right, so Missouri wins, but Ole Miss covers in this one. Yep. Mississippi State goes on the road to take on a Tennessee team that, for being honest, is bad. And yep. sometimes we get caught up in the, okay, when a bad team is like trapped in a corner, they're either going to fight their way out or they're just going to lay down. What happens here with Tennessee? Um, Brian Maurer going to make his second the, start. Uh, the talk show host in Knoxville staying up on a uh, – he's, he's up on top of a building not coming down until they win a game? There's, I'm not sure that that was the, uh, the best plan for him. <laughs> well, uh, he must know something. If Tennessee uh, plays their hand like I think they're going to play the rest of the season, I know they announced him as a starter. I think they're just going to give him the keys and let him run with it. He's going to have some good moments and bad moments. Mississippi State, he's just not the same. Last year, allowing 13 points per game. This year, 29 points per game. Mississippi State, only one wide receiver with more than nine reception here. And it turns out both quarterbacks are okay. You know, neither one is going to scare someone else. And. I'm going to call for the upset here. I'm going to say Jeremy Pruitt silences the critics for a week. Tennessee 27-26. Outright. Outright. Wow. You heard it here first. All right. Lee Sterling gives you Tennessee cool. 27-26. <laughs> if eight rolls here, I'm going to, I'm going to get a lot of, a lot of emails. But got a call like I see it. I think they're, uh, I think they're going to be able to, to pass the ball. And uh, who knows, maybe the breaks go their way for once. 
We'll make our picks on that uh, that game tomorrow, and I'll be interested to see how that one shakes out. You might get some emails, but the other part of that equation, if it turns out that way, things are about to get uncomfortable in Starkville. Yeah, I mean, it's, I guess they expected things to go a little bit better, but uh, you know, they uh, it it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Couple of big numbers in the SEC: Alabama yeah. going to A and M, Crimson Tide seventeen, seventeen and a half point favorite, depending on uh, where you look. I, I know it's a big number. I know it's a big crowd that they'll have at Kyle Field. Does any of that matter? I don't think so. I, I'm watching A and M, and I look at my notes. I, I make notes during the game, and uh, everything about A and M, I'm writing average, average. They don't have really any standouts at any position. Kevin Mond is not taking it to the next level. His top four receivers, all of them under 18 yards of reception. That's Osmond, Davis, Rogers, and Smith. Sounds like a law firm, but <laughs> <laughs> they're not taking care of business. Uh, the A&M offense is 30 points versus the two good defenses, Clemson and Auburn. So that's 15 points per game. Okay, let's say Alabama's not as good, so we'll give them maybe 21 or 24 in the game. I just think that Alabama's going to score 40-plus points versus this mediocre defense here. Alabama's offense is, is almost unstoppable. Bama here, 48-21. So 48-21, Alabama covers the 17. LSU and Florida in Baton Rouge. Night game in Baton Rouge. This is not one of those where they're kicking at 2.30 on CBS. It's the full-on night game treatment. Florida coming off the big win at home last week against Auburn. LSU's had a little bit of time to rest up for this one. That offense has been dynamic so far this year. Right? Did you hear what was it? LSU two weeks? Did they play? Was was their game a couple weeks ago? Where did they play before Florida? Uh, well, they had Utah State l- last week. Then before that, who did they have? Let's They're see, on the road. Uh... Did you did you hear what happened in that game? Did you hear the road game they had? Oh, they were at Vanderbilt. Okay, yeah, did you hear they ran ran out of beer by halftime? <laughs> Does that shock you? No, but <laughs> I mean I was I was in That's very on brand. Miami Florida State game was a twelve noon Eastern kickoff and they ran out of water by halftime, but that was in Miami, but beer by halftime that was that was a little shocking. Maybe by the third quarter. So I I, I know the Gators inside and out. They are really good at home. Tennessee, they rolled. Auburn played a great game. They got, they played with the lead, made Knicks look terrible. I also thought the Auburn play calling was terrible. But on the road, you know, they were a play two different times away from losing to Miami, field goal away from losing to Kentucky if the kid makes a field goal. Kyle Trask is not 100%. He'll play with a sprained knee. I just think that the Joe Burrow right now, the game is slowed down for this guy. And it's like he's playing seven on seven. I think LSU's been waiting for this game since they lost last year, 27-19. And the game was at Florida, line 7, you know, 6-7, I looked to Florida. But uh, at LSU, I I think it's going to be tight for a while, but LSU pulls away late. Give me the Tigers, 31-13. 31-13, final there. Lee, tell everybody how they can get your picks and what the best deal is you've got going right now. Locktober, it's not October, we call it Locktober. Three weeks of games from now through the end of the month. Just two ninety seven if they use coupon code SAVE100. Had another winning week last week. Went 7-5 and five and hit our both big games. That's That's been the key to us doing well. Picking that one or two game for during the weekend that uh, we can 
you know, find out some, some good info on in the matchups were there. And we had Virginia Tech plus 14. They won outright against my Hurricanes. And then on Sunday, had Minnesota against the Giants. So if you want to hop on board, ParamountSports.com. Use coupon code SAVE100. Or you want to get, uh, how about this, game of the week, Georgia and South Carolina. We'll give it to you for free. Just call 800-400-9741. Lee, got a, uh, a quick text in, but I sure. want to get this in before we finish up. Conference USA game, North Texas at Southern Miss. Southern Miss 3-2, and two, North Texas 2-3. and three. Southern Miss a three-point favorite. How do you feel about this one? Probably like North Texas a little bit there. I think that, that their game against Houston, stepping up in class, they weren't able to do it. But uh, just think that they've got a lot of playmakers, got a couple running backs that have come on. And uh, also special teams. They got a kid returns uh, punts and kickoffs that uh, might just have a breakout game. So give me North Texas by a touchdown. All right. Lee, thanks, man. Appreciate your time this afternoon. Okay. See you, Rich. Lee Starling from Paramount Sports. Sports Talk. Sports Talk Mississippi. To the junction, in the groove, and to the top. Sports Talk Mississippi on Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go back to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. That's Mississippi Farm Bureau. We're going to get the important stuff out of the way first. Peter Ball writes for The Athletic, covers the Missouri Tigers football team, and in his Twitter bio says that he is a believer in St. Louis-style pizza. So, Peter, most important question out of the gate, Shakespeare's overrated or not? Oh, well, so St. Louis-style pizza is com- a completely different animal than Shakespeare's. But Shakespeare's is, I think it's a, here's my take on Shakespeare's. I like Shakespeare's atmosphere. It's a great place to, like, go hang out with friends. I was actually there last night. Um, the pizza's fine. I think people remember it more fondly because of the experiences they have within the space. Uh, the pizza's good, though. It's solid. But I'd say a little overrated. Is Shakespeare's the best pizza in Columbia? No, it is not. There's a place called Pizza Tree that has very good pizza. Okay. So what is St. Louis-style pizza? I mean, we know Chicago. We know New York. What's St. Louis-style? So St. Louis-style is it's kind of a test to that really most people who don't grow up that really detest. It's, um, it's got this It's very thin crust. It's, the main place is called Emo's Pizza, um, and it's very thin crust with this uh, it's kind of a sweeter sauce and this cheese on top called Provel cheese that's a mix of – it's a blend of cheeses that's very – it's got a very tangy, um, distinct taste to it. Um, a lot of people really don't like it. Um, they say it tastes like a cheese cracker more than anything. Um, <laughs> but if you grow up – It's a ringing it, endorsement. Yeah. If you grow up on it, it's, it's good. There you go. Fair enough. Um, okay, so less important things like football to uh, talk about. This is a it's a pretty important game for Ole Miss. Uh, seems like the Rebels are trending in the right direction. They've gotten it back to three and three. Some confidence in in what they're doing offensively with the running game, a really big part of it. I'm not sure how much Missouri's been tested uh, this season. Is that a, a fair way to kind of start the conversation and, and look at this Missouri team? Obviously, they had the loss in the season opener against Wyoming. But from a schedule standpoint, it's not been nearly as difficult over the last few weeks as it looks like it's going to be in the stretch run of the season. 
I would agree with that. I think I think on paper and talent wise, I think Mizzou at this point is stronger than Ole Miss. Um, I would say that Mississippi's probably, aside from maybe South Carolina, Mississippi's probably going to be the hardest team Missouri has played this year. Um, West Virginia has looked a little better since it played Missouri, but against Missouri, it looked terrible. Um, Wyoming is. Wyoming's fine. They they were that was not a game Missouri should have lost. But Wyoming's not a terrible team or anything. Um, Troy is kind of in that same boat of like they're an okay group of five team. Um, and then Southeast Missouri's an FCS team. So I think it's definitely like probably the second hardest game Missouri's had so far. So it'll be a good test. Um, but I think on paper, uh, Missouri probably has more talent. Kelly Bryant has been talked about a lot this week. Uh, it was a, a scary-looking injury when it happened. He comes back onto the sideline on crutches on Saturday. The reports, though, were yeah, he kind of left the stadium Saturday night uh, without the aid of crutches, didn't appear to be limping. Missouri has said he's okay. It's just a sprained knee. Is there concern about mobility, the ability to move in the pocket, to get outside the pocket if he's pressured, or do we think it's just all systems go for Kelly Bryant this week? So one quick thing, the CBS broadcast, there were some people saying he came out on crutches. That was someone, that was a different player, actually. Okay. Um, so he, he never returned to the sideline. He was in the locker room. But he actually walked off on his own strength and said he felt, I talked to him, I guess, Tuesday, and he kind of said that when he walked off, that was kind of when he knew he was okay. Granted, you can, like, you can walk on a torn ACL or something. Um, right. But the MRI they got that night, uh, kind of came back and it showed it was just a knee sprain. As for his mobility, he he was a full participant in practice on Tuesday, um, and he looked he looked good from what I and from what Coach Barry Odom said. Um, I'm still curious. I mean, I would expect him to play, but I think as you've seen with Matt Corral down in Mississippi, like you just never know with these quarterbacks. If, even if the team says like, "Yep, they're going to be good to go," you never know what happens when when kickoff comes. So. I would expect his mobility to maybe be a little bit compromised, but he said he was feeling around 90% on Tuesday. So if, if he's being honest with us, then that's, that means he's probably going to be uh, in a good spot come, come Saturday in terms of mobility. But I know he's going to have to wear a knee brace. I'm sure it's going to be a little sore. And I'm sure maybe, maybe there will be fewer designed runs because I'm sure they don't really want Kelly Bryant getting hit. So what about the backup? We know the kid is from uh, from Fayetteville High School. Uh, good program traditionally there. Uh, but Missouri went scoreless against Troy in the second half with uh, with him at the QB spot. If we see a backup on Saturday, what do we need to know? I think it's a pretty – it's a drop-off. It's a significant drop-off. I think it's a greater drop-off than, say – Felipe Franks to Kyle Trask at Florida. Like I think it, Missouri losing its quarterback is a bigger deal than some of the other teams losing its quarterback. I think Taylor Powell, he actually looked pretty good against Troy. I know they didn't put up any points in the second half, but they really they didn't throw the ball all that much, and he was on the throws he did make. He was pretty accurate, six of eight passing. Um, so I think he he's capable, and I think against. And Ole Miss secondary that obviously has really struggled this year. I think he would be able to do something when a more run heavy than if he was in the game, um, and maybe focus on some shorter passes and probably focus a lot on the tight end Albert Okwebenam. Um, but I think he's he's 
he certainly has gotten a lot better. There were points where I saw him practice in previous years where I was not particularly impressed. But this year, he looks a little bit more like an SEC-level quarterback. I still I, – I don't know if he's – he's certain, it would certainly be a big loss um, for Missouri if Kelly Bryant is not in there. But I think that they would be a good team with Taylor Powell and a quarterback to still win this game. Peter Ball on the Farm Bureau phone line, staff writer at The Athletic, covers Missouri football. Uh, a big loss on the defensive side. Cale Garrett, who was leading the team in, uh, in tackles on the season, uh, three interceptions, had three defensive scores so far this year, out for the season with the uh, pectoral issue. How big a loss is this for Missouri's defense? Uh, it's huge. It's That's a very – like. I think one of the ways one of the writers here put it, um, Gabe Diarman on Power Mizzou, he said he said that Kelly Bryant is Mizzou's most important, but Kale Garrett is Kelly Bryant or Kale Garrett is Missouri's best player, and I would agree with that. He's been okay. he's been unbelievable this year, and I think one of the other things that can't be you can look at his numbers on the field, but the tackles he's made, the interceptions, uh, the fumble recovery he had, uh, but the big thing for him is just how good of a communicator he is within the defense. He's like a coach on the field. He's everyone raves about how smart a player he is, how well he knows the game, how he can call out plays. He knows where he's supposed to be. And he also knows where everyone else on the defense is supposed to be. So a loss like that, it's like, perhaps you can, the backup will get um, Cameron Wilkins. who's He's been pretty solid in limited action. Like he might be able to get, um, I guess somewhere near the Kale Garrett's level of production in terms of like tackling and stuff like that. But where you where you really lose is that guy who just is like the quarterback of the defense, kind of. Peter, last thing: um, Missouri has put out that there are limited tickets remaining for this game. You never know exactly what that means if that's three hundred or, or three thousand. Cardinals play at what just after three on mm-hmm. Saturday afternoon, game two. How much is that going to affect the crowd? I actually was wondering the same thing. I don't know. Missouri's not Missouri. I, I think obviously on field since Missouri's joined the SEC, um, football wise, the production has been there. It's been better than a lot of the SEC programs. But I think fan interest. It's a different different place culturally than say an LSU or a Georgia, where football is kind of the the thing that dictates all the conversation. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that maybe takes away some but it's also homecoming so i think a lot of people are going to be back for the game i think there's going to be a lot of um i think the tailgating scene will be pretty pretty big um for missouri standards which granted to a lot of us probably not as big as old miss's tailgating scene i sadly haven't been to oxford but um but the I, so i would say it might have a small impact but i wouldn't anticipate a huge one well, because the SEC scheduling model is so good, in 37 years you can uh, you can make the trip to Oxford and watch Mizzou play at Ole Miss. Maybe. Peter, really appreciate your time this afternoon. Uh, hopefully this will be a fun one on Saturday. Good visiting with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. That's uh, Peter Ball from The Athletic. Covers the Missouri Tigers football team. 6 o'clock on Saturday night. And uh, you heard him say, he's kind of curious himself. They have uh, have recently, I think, completely finished the expansion of uh, a Mizzou stadium, uh, Faroe Field, uh, there on the campus of Missouri, and uh, it's a pretty impressive upgrade. Look forward to seeing that in person coming up on Saturday. That's Peter Ball from The Athletic. On the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. More coming up with you when we continue 
in just a couple of minutes in the Renaissance Bank studio on this Thursday afternoon. Up next, your Pearl River Resort pick of the day brought to you by the Golden Moon Casino, the Sportsbook Timeout Lounge. We'll be back after this. Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. John Harris, our buddy from the Houston Texans, joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Uh, Your guys put a bunch of points on the board on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons. We were having a conversation earlier this week, John, about Deshaun Watson and some of the young quarterbacks in the NFL. And I think the conversation came down to if you had to choose one or the other, would you take Deshaun Watson or would you take Patrick Mahomes? Is there a wrong answer to that question? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, it, you know, it's funny. Uh, in 2017, my first mock draft for the Washington Post, I'll never forget it. I had watched Patrick as a sophomore, sophomore against LSU in the Texas Bowl. And I saw him make a throw that day, and I'm like, oh, my God. I've never seen a college quarterback make a throw like that. And I thought, this kid's something special. And I watched him that night go toe-to-toe with LSU pretty much until Texas Tech's defense just gave out. I mean, they did what all it could against Leonard Fournette. It just gave out. But I saw Mahomes do some things that night, and I remember that just stuck with me. And so when I did my first mock draft at number three, I had the Chicago Bears pitching Patrick Mahomes. Now, this was before Mahomes kind of started getting first-round run. And I remember my editor emailing back going, you sure about this? And I was like, yeah, run it. Go for it. And so, of course, that was the headline. He was the picture. People were like, oh, you're nuts. You don't think the Chicago Bears right now would want some Patrick Mahomes? I mean, it was was just interesting to see how people reacted, but he's done – such good stuff with Andy Reid. And look, Deshaun Watson's done some incredible things here with Bill O'Brien. I think Sonny was a great indication of, hey, look, if you protect a franchise quarterback and you have weapons around him of varied skill sets, then you've got an opportunity to do some really good things. Now, they've both got to grow and they've got to mature and they're going to go through some hills and valleys. And it's not always going to be a bed of roses, especially for Patrick Lately. He hasn't had Tyreek Hill you know, for a year and a half or more, Deshaun Watson didn't really have great protection. So they've kind of gone through it. And I think they're eventually going to come on the other side. And I think it's a really interesting question because Deshaun sort of, he sort of answered it this week. He was asked about young quarterbacks in the NFL and why so many of them are having success early. Not all of them, but a good, a good number of them. And I thought he had a really interesting answer. He just talked about the technology, the things that younger quarterbacks are now able to do that guys in our generation or, you know, our demographic, you know, I'm up, I'm 47. So, you know, guys, we, I mean, I went to school, I went to high school without the internet. I went to college without the internet. 
you know, now you've got guys that can look up YouTube videos and they can watch every one of Deshaun's throws. They can watch training videos with Deshaun. They can watch the things that Patrick Mahomes has done. They can, you know, get all kinds of scheme and X's and O's stuff um, from a lot of different places. So I thought Deshaun's answer was really, really interesting why young quarterbacks have had success. But look, these two are special, though. They're they're really, really special guys. And I think that's what separates them is what they have between the ears and what they have from a leadership standpoint. Our guys will follow Deshaun Watson to the end of the earth. And I know the Chiefs feel the same way about Patrick Mahomes. And I'll be lucky to be able to see both of them on Sunday uh, at Arrowhead Stadium. I've I've been looking forward to this one since the two of them were drafted to see these two go at it. And I think this is going to be the NF- the AFC's version of Manning, Bree- or, uh, Manning and Brady, I hope, over in the, in the AFC for a long time. I know the Browns want to be Baker Mayfield, and I just think it's going to be these two guys, Mahomes and Watson, that whenever they're teeing up against one another, it's going to be must-see television. I, just, I know that NBC has got to be kicking itself going, wait a second. We had that game last week, which is a good football game when we could have had this one on Sunday night with these two guys going at it. There are going to be yeah. some points put up on the board, there's no doubt. There will be a lot of yards. This is going to be as fun a football game Sunday as we've seen in a long time. John, there are a lot of different paths that have been taken to starting quarterback spots in the NFL. Tom Brady, you know, late sixth-round pick. Uh, Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, guys that were taken early. Russell Wilson, middle of the road. Eli Manning, whose career seems to be winding down. First overall pick, but you had the drama of uh, of San Diego and, and New York. And kind of all points in between. And then there's Gardner Minshew, who comes basically unrecruited to Troy, transfers to a junior college in Mississippi, goes to East Carolina, goes as a grad transfer. We think he's going to basically be a grad assistant coach at Alabama, gets a shot at Washington State, finds himself in the NFL, and he can just play. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, regardless of how he got there, the guy can play, and he plays pretty well with pressure and the chips down. What's your take on Gardner Minshew? Well, it's interesting because the one thing that I would say about a lot of those guys that you mentioned Although it doesn't always, it's not always present in public forums, in press conferences, et cetera. But the guys you mentioned, even Deshaun, Deshaun's sort of quiet by nature and he kind of takes things in through observation. But the guys you mentioned are unflinchingly confident. And Gardner Minshew is that kind of guy. He is confident. Now, there's confident, there's cocky. Baker Mayfield, I think, has moved over to the cocky arena, but they are unflinchingly confident. And I think about this all the time, Richard. I think about the tuck rule. I know Raiders fans think about it too. But (laughs) if that is ruled a fumble and Tom Brady doesn't win that game, they just went 11-5, they won the AFC East, and they got bounced in the divisional playoff round. Do you think that Bill Belichick hands the job back to Tom Brady, or do you think he puts that job up for competition? Well, didn't really come to it. He didn't need to. I think what Tom Brady should have proved to all of us was that there obviously are things that you're looking for in a quarterback. And Tom Brady, and no matter who's been around him, and I've, I've heard this from Bill O'Brien. I've seen it on different things. Uh, I've talked to different people about Tom. He was as confident as anybody that entered that Patriots building. Now, he's humble. 
and he knows his place. But he was so confident. He was telling guys going into the 2001 season, I'm going to beat Drew Bledsoe out. Nobody believed him. He believed it. So when his shot came, he was ready for it. Gardner Minshew, I think, just shows that when a guy gets a shot that can play and he believes in himself, who knows what can happen. And I just think there are so many young guys out there that they just never get a chance for whatever reason. Well, Jacksonville was forced into having to put Gardner Minshew on the field. And it's kind of like finding that $20 in your pocket, like, oh, look at this, I got 20 bucks in my pocket. Well, now you got 40 bucks in your pocket, and what are you going to do when Nick Foles comes back? Uh, are you going to give him the $40? I mean, you're paying him $22 million, but what are you going to do when he comes back? I think it's a really interesting decision. But to me, Gardner Minshew is just a guy that never backed off. He loves the game. He's ultra-confident. And I think going and playing for Mike Leach, where Mike said, look, here's our scheme, throw it to the open guy, find the open guy. And that made Minshew go through progressions. Look at the look at the defense. Nobody needs to see. Hey, this guy thinks he's gonna be open. Oh, he's not. Let's throw this guy. That I think really helped Gardner Minshew. And right now, he just feels like he's playing with house money. It could all end next week. I mean, the Saints could put up forty eight and they score three this week. But I think what we've seen is he's a guy that is so confident himself. He's got weapons around him that are playing well. He just if he makes a mistake, he doesn't dwell on it. He moves on. He finds the open guy, and away you go. And they now, and I saw it in the fourth quarter. I could see it from the other side of the field. You could tell the belief in the Jaguars that he was going to get the job done. In only his second start, they were like, we're all in on this guy. Actually, his first start, we're all in on this guy. He's going to do good things for us. I don't care whether he was drafted number one overall in the seventh round or was an undrafted free agent. We'll get behind that guy. And when a team does that, He's your guy for however long you want him to be. Hey, only about a minute left, so we probably can't get into this as deep as we'd like to. But I'm curious, when in college that you look at a running back, do you know, you know what, that guy's going to be an NFL running back? And I ask that with the backdrop of Jerry Ely, who was a five-star guy. I've heard a lot of people that kind of cover Ole Miss go, whew, he's going to be good in the NFL one day. I, I don't know what I'm looking at enough to be able to tell what are you looking for in a running back in college football in one minute to go, that's going to be an NFL guy? That's a great question. I'll, I'll tell you this. There have been players that I've looked at, in, and you could just look at body size and then explosiveness. And sometimes you can even see it on TV. Watch how fast those white lines go by when those guys have the ball. <laughs> and if, the one thing I would look, you know, Todd Gurley is the one that always stands out to me. The first time I saw Todd Gurley run the ball in college, and went, that guy's going to be a first-round pick. That guy, he, he's a stud. That guy is special. Now, to me, I think the art in the NFL is finding the fourth, fifth-rounder that you know is going to end up being a guy that can contribute. I think the guys that are special, you know it. I remember that year there were some people trying to convince me, well, yeah, Melvin Gordon's in the same class as you're like, uh, no, no, no. That dude right there, that guy's special. Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin, first time I saw him carry the football, I was like, that guy will be a first-rounder. That guy is a big-time star. And I also think about it like this, Richard. This is the, the last thing I'll say. When I look at a guy and I think about it, I go, would I want that guy carrying the rocks for me, for my offense? That's kind of my last and final thing. Would I want him for my offense? And when I say yes, then I know that guy's going to end up being a player. But if I know that I'm, it's such an easy answer, like everybody would want that guy. Okay, that's a first-rounder. The, the tough ones are the ones that come in those middle rounds, like, 
do you know David Montgomery is going to be a superstar running back or not? Eh, we don't know. He's a little short. When you see a guy six foot six one two twenty and he runs by everybody, six foot two hundred runs by everybody. You see a guy that powers through tackles, runs away from guys, has great vision. You just get a feel for guys that you know in the NFL are going to be big time players. It, those are to me those are the easy ones. The Ezekiel Elliott. Todd Gross, those are the easy ones. When you start getting that fourth or fifth round going, can this guy ever contribute in the NFL? That's when it starts to get a little bit tougher. And that's where GMs, they really make their money when they find a running back that can do that for you for at least four or five years. Interesting stuff. John, always appreciate your time. Look forward to talking to you again soon, my friend. Absolutely, buddy. Take care, Richard. Sports Talk Mississippi. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. How about this? Purdue University has banned their students from betting on Purdue. Came across this story earlier today. Betting on the Boilermakers will no longer be allowed for Purdue University faculty and students. The Purdue Board of Trustees met earlier today and discussed whether sports wagering on its own athletics department should be allowed now that it is legal in Indiana, the vote on the ban was unanimous. Purdue's going to make some tweaks to the original draft. The policy expected to go out before the Purdue at Iowa football game on October 19th. Here's what the ban includes. Faculty, staff, and students betting on teams, coaches, contests, stats, etc., the prohibition includes sports wagers placed on any team on a pregame or in-play basis placed in the United States or placed online or on an app, whether legal or illegal. Those found to be in violation on the faculty and staff side could be terminated. The vice provost for faculty affairs and vice president for human resources in concert with the executive policy review group will figure out sanctions for staff. Another committee will work with the Office of Student Rights and Responsibilities and the EPRG, whatever that is, to develop sanctioning guidelines for non-athlete students who are found to be in violation. The ban also will include independent contractors while doing work for the university. Their trustee chairman... Well, that's a novel concept, a board of trustees simply for that university said this. What? It seems very uncomfortable to have students and faculty betting on Purdue University sporting events or individuals. It's urgent enough that we are going to approve the policy by adopting this resolution. A student trustee, Noah Scott said, everybody that is here is for one reason, that is education. We are charged as a a board to protect that environment. That's what a student trustee said. What a narc. Everybody that is at Purdue is there for one reason, education. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's true, but shut up, kid. Purdue's president, Mitch Daniels, says, not the bracket in the dorm thing. That's not what they're talking about. Mike Babinski is the athletics director. He said today's action by the Board of Trustees sends a strong message of support to our student-athletes. They can be confident in conducting their daily business on campus without fear of being compromised for information or in other ways that might be connected to sports gambling activities. So this is the policy, but I've got questions. 
I'm a bookie in in, in West Lafayette, Louisiana, or uh, West Lafayette, Indiana. How happy are you today? Your job has got a lot easier. Why do you say that? I'm talking about like a bookie, not not a uh, a legitimate. I'm talking about the guy who just runs the book, you know, yeah. illegally. Because, How did his job just get easier? Because they don't keep records like that. They don't. They can't go. You can't go online to Joe Sharp and just find what his who's been betting who. That's all done illicitly. That those guys aren't going to get caught. It's the people who are trying to bet legitimately that are that are losing out today. What? So like, if a uh, history teacher gets spotted walking into the sports book, yeah, something like that. How do they, how are they going to know who he's betting on though? Unless he tells them. Well, I mean, they're probably I need to take things. a look at your ticket. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah go. They are getting. Once again. Do what? Y'all are getting towards the point here. This isn't enforceable. It's impossible it's not enforceable. to enforce. Yeah. So I, I get the merit of what they're doing, and I guess that's somewhat noble, but like this is not enforceable. This is stupid. Unless Scott Brian Rapport, freshman at Purdue, places a bet. Kid sounds like a real winner. And then paces, uh, places his ticket on Instagram. For the whole world to see where he laid the 17 on Purdue or went the other way, good luck finding this out. All right, so that was question number one. We all agree, I think, that this really is not enforceable unless the person who is placing the bet is a complete moron. You know, now that I think about it, I have a feeling that a Purdue student somewhere along the way would tweet or something about losing money on a Purdue game. That Probably. would definitely happen. Well, then but get... are they going to have people constantly monitoring that? Like, well, maybe. you've got a student get... that's sitting here being a narc, so maybe you'll get told on. He's not a narc. He's on the board of trustees He's as a, a student cop. representative. Yeah, a student representative that says, oh, we're all here for education. Yeah, like, check under that kid's pillow in the dorm. He might have some marijuana. Like, that kind of kid. My fraternity got told on when I was in school for something that we would not have gotten caught for, but we did because somebody told on us. Yeah, that happens. But I get what they're trying to do here. They don't need, like, Carson Edwards going to class and some a-hole kid being like, hey, give me 500 bucks, you missed that free throw. Sure. Like, I understand what they're trying to do. And it's probably a good idea in theory, but again, completely unenforceable. So, So here's my second question. Will other schools follow suit? Is this going to be a copycat thing? Somebody going to say, you know what? That was a really good idea Purdue had. Let's enact the same thing. I mean, is it is it just kind of a CYA move from the university? Probably. But the people that are actually going to harass players, the, the shady actors in sports gambling, are not the ones that are going to go to the book and do it legally. But to be fair, this thing I believe said if you get caught doing it illegally, it's the same thing. Well, that, I mean, and that goes back to the enforceable thing. How are you going to catch somebody illegally gambling? No, yeah, no, I'm with you. Yeah, that was one story that caught my attention today. We'll see where that goes. There was another story. Uh, it comes from Football Scoop. Zach Barnett was the writer. Division Three Mary Harden Baylor. It's a school in Belton, Texas, announced Thursday the punishments from an 18-month investigation into NCAA violations by its football program. They're really good. 
won a national championship a couple of years ago. Um, UMHB self-imposed a two-year probationary period, enhanced compliance training, and a $2,500 fine to the program. Head coach Pete Fredenberg received a three-month suspension without pay and a three-game suspension to begin the 2018 season. So that was last year. They've already done all of this. The NCAA's Committee on Infractions said, yeah, we'll accept those penalties, but we're going to add some more. Vacation of wins. All of their wins from 2016 to 2017, including their 2016 Division III National Championship. Why were they being penalized? It had to do with the 2006 Subaru. The case involved the provision of local transportation by coaching staff and centered around the loan of the head coach, Friedenberg's 2006 Subaru to one student-athlete prior to and during the 2016 season and again during the 2017 season. These actions violated NCAA rules, including impermissible benefits and head coach responsibility. Mary Harden-Baylor also self-reported a violation involving Fredenberg's loan of the same car to another student-athlete for less than one hour before it broke down and had to be towed. I don't know why I found that part of it so funny. He's not loaning out a Mercedes E-Class. It's a very safe car. It's not a BMW 5 Series. It's not a G-Wagon where he's like, Hey, buddy, why don't you go troll for chicks in this? It's a 13-year-old or 12-year-old at the time Subaru that when he loaned it to a student-athlete football player, it broke down and had to be towed. Fredenberg said, I've spent my entire career as a football coach investing in kids. In this instance, I unintentionally broke NCAA rules. I regret this, and I accept responsibility. I have a passion to help youngsters. He desperately needed some help. I felt like I was okay with the interpretation of the rules. I had an old car that was in my driveway, and I loaned it to him. Remember earlier, Mary Arden Baylor is appealing the vacating win suspension. Say what? Remember, remember earlier you're talking about the NFL, and sometimes when like public perception looks bad, they'll make a change? Here's the opposite of that. The NCAA. They'll just dig in. With no disrespect intended for Subaru, Coach Fredenberg loaned his piece-of-crap car that barely ran to a kid that needed some transportation. Very safe car. Division Three football. Man, we got them. We got them. That'll make people think twice before they help somebody in need. How dare a coach help one of his players? It's not a recruiting inducement. Maybe that was the recruiting inducement. Hey, if you come to school here at Mary Harden Baylor, i got a sweet 06 Subaru I'll let you cruise the campus in, kid. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.